Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Guys, I think I could about go home and be fine. That was a that was a great worship set today. I want to start by reading some uh, some verses to you out of Galatians because I think it has a, a lot of bearing on the thought of us uh, outflowing and touching the lives of others. Uh, today we're going to be talking about how we need to um, outflow in our community, talk about our relationship with our community, uh, people around us. Uh, but in Galatians, Paul wrote these these words. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Paul tells us several things I think is applicable to what we're going to talk about today in, in those verses. He, he lets us know we're called to freedom because if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you, you've been set free. And yet the freedom that we have is not to be used for our own desires or an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, he, he tells us we ought to take that freedom that we have, the energy that we have, and use it to love each other, use it to serve uh, each other. He, he tells us that we ought to love our, our neighbor as, as ourselves. And then he kind of gives a warning, but if you bite and devour uh, one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And you know, regrettably, that happens sometimes. Regrettably, we get so inward focused uh, many times, we're focused upon our own desires, that that happens in, in church life, that people will uh, kind of start to bite and devour each other. So instead of uh, the, the church growing, it's kind of slowly diminishing because we're kind of destroying each other uh, by, by those practices. And we might wonder why in the world or how in the world does that happen, you know, to Christians or to a church. And, and I think it's probably implied by what Paul says here. If we focus on loving each other as we should, then we won't be biting and devouring each other. If we would focus upon serving each other and loving each other instead of just what we want in our, in our own desires. We've been doing this series uh, based on a book that our small groups are studying uh, right now called Outflow. And the imagery that we've been uh, visiting quite often, you'll see it on the, on the screen as they bring it up, is a picture of a fountain. And, uh, and that fountain represents uh, several relational areas in, in our life that's really kind of based in Acts 1-8. The Holy Spirit being the spout, that first basin down being our Jerusalem or our personal uh, relationship with God. The next one down uh, being uh, our relationship with our, our family and, and our friends, uh, our, our Judea. And that's what John uh, preached about last week. By the way, John did a really good job. I listened to it online uh, last week. Uh, my only concern was, and I was joking with him this morning when I came in. He was up there in the booth where he is now. And, and I got his attention. I said, did you hear about our lawsuit? And he was like, no, you know. Like, you know, and I said, well, yeah, someone got their eye put out last week where you were going around cranking those seeds and they were flying all over the place and, and, uh, and everything. I expected to come in and see seeds sprouting out of the carpet this morning, uh, in August. Last week I was, uh, gone with, uh, Cairo's prison ministry in Alexander Maximum Security Prison. I'll kind of allude to that a few times in the message today. It's not really, the message isn't about Kairos, but some things blend into it so well. I, I will kind of tell you up front, uh, one thing that happened this, uh, past weekend, we had two young men saved out of, out of Wicca, out of witchcraft, uh, and uh, you know they they came to the Lord, and uh, and there's several others as they gave their personal testimonies on the closing night. Well, there was a lot more uh, that had trusted Christ, and we even realized uh, until we got to that point. But uh, but that's what John talked about last week. Uh, your uh, your family and your friends, how you need to outpour into them. And, of course, the thought is just naturally as a fountain overflows, if God's filling your life up, you're going to spill over in the life of your family and friends, and, and in turn, you'll spill over into the life of your community. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. Our, that third base and down represents your relationship with your community. Now, you may be wondering, well, what's the definition of, of community? Some people want to play around with the definition of neighbor. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. And they'll say, all right, the person to the right of me and the person to the left of me in the community I live. But that's not really the definition of neighbor. It's who you are, are close to. Uh, is really a good definition of the Greek. You know, who is in your vicinity. So that means people are your neighbor all your days as you live and as you move through your life. If you're at the mall, there are people there that uh, you need to be trying to impact. If you're at your job, if, you know, if you're in school or whatever the case is, uh, the people that do live on your street, uh, we need to be trying to impact them. We need to be trying to outpour uh, into our community. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, today is how we can more effectively do that, how we can have a better relationship with people in our community with the idea of leading them to Christ. Now, when I first say that, that might sound like it's a, it's a daunting task. Like maybe, man, that sounds impossible that, that myself as an individual or even as our church corporately uh, can somehow impact our whole community around us or the world around us. It may sound as impossible as, as you thinking that you're going to take a, a medicine dropper and come over and drop a drop into a huge ocean of humanity and you're wondering kind of what difference can it make? Well, the truth of the matter is this, even a vast ocean is made up of individual drops. And if all of us together will take our medicine dropper of God's love and drop it into the ocean of humanity, we can make a huge difference together. Even if it's just small acts that's taking place in, in people's lives. So how can we better do that? What are some steps we can take to maybe help us uh, be more relational with our community, to try and, and, and convey God's love to people around us? The, the first step, regrettably, is this. The first step is we need to change the perception that people have about the church and Christians. Or you might just say change the perception that people have about Christianity. Uh, in, in the book Outflow, it talks about changing from the old norm to a new norm. Like I said, regrettably, this is a truth because if we were to be honest, if we were to think about the perception that our culture may have of the church and of Christians, we might have to admit that it might not be a glowing perception that they have. That, that the perception that, that people out in the world that we rub shoulders with may be somewhat less than positive. And there are various reasons for that. Uh, people may have a less than positive view, the, the old norm, of the church and Christians because they've been hurt by Christians. By, by Christians being mean-spirited and legalistic and, and things like that. Or they've been hurt by churches, by a lot of man-made rules and things that maybe have hurt them and affected them over the years. They, they've been affected by things like sex scandals and morality failures of, of well-known church leaders that will hit the news media. They, they've been affected by denominations and churches infighting and things like that to where they get a negative view of what Christianity and the church is all about. I, I think they even get a negative view when they, when they see sometimes publicized lavish lifestyles of, uh, of some pastors, the way that they're living. Or, or they see maybe how uh, some churches in this day and time are even kind of making the news for doing things that I feel like look like manipulating people, you know, instead of just the, the gospel impacting their lives. So there's a lot of reasons why people have a negative perception of the church. That's the current norm. That's the current perception that, that people have. And, and that being true, then that means a lot of Christians withdraw because we kind of know that's the way people out in our culture maybe view the church. And we're not just jumping up and down happy and going, hey, I'm a Christian, will you come to church with me? Because we understand there's a negative perception. And it causes us to maybe withdraw instead of stepping out on faith and trying to invite people. A lot of people like it or not, if we're going to be honest, a lot of people have a bad taste in their in their spiritual mouth, in their spiritual brains, and in their spiritual hearts that's been left there by the church and Christians. So if that's the current perception, then we need to do what we can to change that perception. We need to change the way they view the church, change the way that they view the lives of, of Christians. We need to take steps to change the old norm into something new. And I, and I think the best way to do that is, is through love. If we will authentically and genuinely love others to where they understand 
That we love them, that we're not just shouting at the darkness, that we're not just screaming at them, that we're not just beating them over the head, you know, with, with, with theology and with a, with a Bible. Paul uh, alluded to this really in, uh, in Galatians a moment ago also, but Jesus said this in, in Matthew in, in re- response to a question about what's the most important commandment. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then he says, and second is like it. You you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Part of what's being said there, if you take the, you know, even the Ten Commandments and you categorize them, part of them have to do with your relationship with God. The other part have to do with your relationship with other people. And that's why it's so strategic that we do what the Bible says here, that, that we love God and, and that we love others. And, and I mean that we really do it, not just recognize the Bible tells us to do it. Think about the huge difference in the perception it would make in our culture about the church and Christians if we seriously took to heart loving God every day of our lives. Because you see, along with loving God, that means we also love what God is about. We, we love what God wants to do in the lives of others. So if we would really authentically love God and, and also authentically be loving other people, it would change the negative perception they have about the church because all of a sudden they would start to see, hey, those, those people aren't as crazy as I thought they were. Those people are actually kindly nice. Those, those people actually did something to help me and, and to minister to me. If we would just do that in our lives, if we would make it a reality. I mean, we've all prayed this. Jesus taught us to pray this. He, he, he taught us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What if we actually stop beyond just praying that and we step out to make it a reality to where we are treating people in such a way we are wanting to see God's kingdom come into their lives and, and into this world. That we look at it as something we tangibly do and not just something that we're, that we're praying about. To... To kind of illustrate that point, I want to talk to you for a minute about what you can do, and then I'm going to talk to you about what we can do. If you make a commitment in your life to touch one or two people a day, now I want to stress something, this this outflow thing, even though we're calling an outreach ministry invasion outflow, and we've got like a Caldwell outflow team and a Catawba outflow team, I don't want you to buy into thinking this is a program. Because it's not a program. Outflow ought to be something that's a lifestyle in our lives. So as we live our lives, as we're going day in and day out, we are looking to impact someone's life in a positive way for Jesus. So if you alone decide to touch one or two lives a day in a week, that's 7 to 14 lives. In a year, you would have touched 365 to 730 lives, or at least touches uh, two lives. It might be the same lives sometimes with the love of Christ. But by doing so, what happens, we are starting to reflect God's glory. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. All of us who've had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. That's what our goal is, to reflect His glory. And the Lord who is Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So as we reach out and we touch people's lives on a day-to-day basis, and that becomes our lifestyle. It's not trying to convince you guys when we start talking about, hey, we're going to do a, uh, an outreach event that you sign up to do that. We want you to sign up to do that, but it goes deeper than that. We don't want you to wait for someone at church to say, hey, go do something. We want you to develop the attitude, the mentality, and the practice that as you live your life, you are looking to touch lives every day wherever you are. Now, that kind of gives us a picture of what you can do. Look what we can do. It's kind of based on our average attendance of adults and youth, not counting our children. Weekly, we can touch 1,680 to 3,360 lives in a week. In a a four-week month, we can touch 7,700 to 14,400 lives in a month that has four weeks in it. Look at the yearly figure. If all of us commit... Every day, to strive to touch one to two lives in some way as we're going and living our life out in the community. Yearly, we can touch 87,600 to 175,200 lives. 
But to be honest with you, the impact would even be larger than that. Because you see, as we were to do that, we're going to grow spiritually ourselves. And maybe a desire to touch more than one or two lives. And not just ourselves growing spiritually. As we do that, guess what? We're going to impact some lives. They're going to come. And if they go out and do the same thing, guess what happens? Snowballing effect happens. And many, many more lives would be touched if we would just commit to doing that, to making a, a difference in, in the lives of, of others. I think that might be a little bit of what Jesus had in mind in the Great Commission. Because in the Great Commission, he, he tells us this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you look at that in the tense of the Greek, he's saying, as you are going. It gives the exact idea of what I'm talking about. As we are living our lives, as we are living in our communities, as we are rubbing shoulders with people, we need to be trying to touch them with, with the love of Jesus. You see, I think that's something we've missed in the church because somewhere along the way, we bought into this, that the way to get their attention is walk up and smack them in the head with a Bible and tell them they're going to hell, which is true without Jesus. But I think a method of building a relationship with them and letting them know God cares for them, God loves them, is a little bit more effective to maintain the relationship and have the chance to maybe get them to Christ. And that's what our, our goal is. So if we want to more effectively affect our community, the, the, the first thing we need to do is understand there's probably a negative perception out there, and we need to do our best by loving others the best we can to change that perception. Second thing we need to do is, I'm about ashamed to say this, is listen better. I, I'm waiting to see if Becky, my wife, is going to exit the worship center because I said that. <laughs> Because I'll tell you up front, I am self-aware that I've got a bad tendency because I have so much on my mind. And some of you have experienced it after the service. You're trying to tell me something. And maybe you don't know it, but I've got 10 or 15 other people waiting to tell me something. So I'm kind of talking and, and, I'm, and I'm going like this. I'm talking. I apologize. I'm self-aware, but I need to work on it. But it will help us to reach people if we learn to listen better. If we had learned to listen to even strangers, people we don't even know. Now, you're going to have to hear this verse again in a few weeks because I, I'm pretty sure God's led me when we finish this series to do a verse-by-verse -verse study on Sunday morning through the book of James. So that's where we're going to start in about, uh, in, in about three weeks. But look what's said here in, in the book of James. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. It's an interesting phrase in the Greek when it says you must all be because it kind of literally means just to stand. But when you think about what's being said, it makes perfect sense. Because if we're going to be quick to listen to somebody, we have to stand long enough to do it in order to hear what they're saying. We have to stand still and allow them to listen. It says be quick. And the phrase in the Greek there literally talked about being quick on your feet. But in the context here, it means to be quick with your ears. Be, be ready and willing to listen. That little word, too, we don't think a lot about, but he's telling us we need to get to the point in our lives, arrive at the point in our lives that we actually do that, that we actually give audience to someone and we allow what they're saying to literally come into our ears. A former Secretary of State, Dean Russ, said this, one of the best ways to persuade anyone is with your ears by listening to them. Now, he's talking about diplomatically because he was trying to persuade other countries and things like that by giving them ear and, and, and listening to them, hoping he could, uh, you know, by, by showing value to them and listening to them, that he could earn a, a chance to maybe effect some change that, that he wanted on the diplomatic scene. We're not talking about diplomacy. We're talking about people's eternity. And, and you and I, by listening to people, we, we can actually kind of earn the right to affect change in their lives by, by letting them know that, that we value them, that we, that we honestly care for them if we will listen to them. In outflow, uh, <clears throat> I'll read in number 17, it tells a story uh, about a 25-year-old uh, Bible college graduate by the name of uh, Carol. And uh, Carol had gone to Bible college, graduated. Can you guess what her first position was, what her first job was she took? She, she took a job as a waitress in a trendy nightclub. Her mom shared that at her church in her, in her Bible study group. So about a month or so later, 
Carol at the supermarket bumps into a friend of one of her moms that's in her Bible study group, and, and this uh, older lady comes over and, and kind of gets her by the arm and pulls her clothes and said, I've been really praying for you ever since your mother told me about the job that you took. Carol looked at her and said, well, it must be working. Please keep praying. Because in the last month, I've won three people to Jesus working in that nightclub. And then she looked at the lady and said, how's it going with you? <laughs> See, sometimes we get more concerned about the location where ministry takes place than we do the ministry. Than we do trying to effectively listen to someone and try and make a difference in, in someone's life. How can we maybe better listen? Well, if we, we can even start out by listening with our eyes. And listening with your eyes uh, means that you're just observing people. You're being a people watcher. And you're reading their body language and you're kind of noticing if they're smiling, they're frowning, they're, you know, they're happy, they're sad. Maybe they're not feeling very good. And you can pick up on a lot of things just by, by watching someone. And as you watch them, ask God to give you a growing concern for that individual. A growing concern for trying to impact their lives. And, and then start to listen to them and talk to them. Even look at Maybe strange circumstances as an opportunity for that to happen. I think sometimes we just think, all right, we're sharing the gospel when we have a planned time that we've go to, gone to see someone when the truth of the matter is there are a lot of inconveniences in our lives that are probably God-appointed opportunities for us to do something. Dave Ping, who's one of the authors of, uh, of the book Outflow, uh, he was flying somewhere several years ago, and uh, the airline was having a, an employee strike. So that, needless to say, inflected the flight patterns and everything else. So he sat in there, and other people are sitting there in the, in the airport for hours. And, and they're getting really frustrated and, and everything. I mean, they said he was looking around, seeing people get angry and angry. And he was himself. He, he said he was, you know, thinking about just going ahead and grabbing a flag and leading the march, you know, against the, against the airport. But he said in the middle of his frustration, he felt the Holy Spirit speak to him and said, Dave, uh, you can sit here and be mad like everybody else, or you can get up and make a difference. So what he decided to do was get up and go around and try and talk to people. And he was amazed how many people just wanted someone to talk to and listen to them. He was going around picking up newspapers that people had read and left aside, passing it on to someone else, getting magazines. Before long, people were watching him. They were saying, hey, I've already read this magazine. Give it to somebody else. And all of a sudden, he's affecting a lot of ministry in a place he was not intended on affecting ministry because God really had him there for that reason. It was an opportunity for him to bless others. This next passage of Scripture haunts me sometimes. It may you also, but Hebrews 13 says, Let brotherly love continue. In other words, we are to, to love each other. But it goes on and says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You ever maybe pass someone on the freeway trying to catch a ride or something like that, and then a few miles down the road you start remembering that passage of Scripture maybe and start, yeah, was that someone God sent there? Was that maybe an angel? Someone I was supposed to, I was being checked out by God to see if I'm really going to minister to someone, if I'm really going to care, if I'm really going to love someone else. He says, remember those who are in prison as though you're in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also in, in the body. There are people in our community that, that are facing real significant problems in their lives, and, and we need to look at it as an opportunity to minister to them. We we're talking this week about trying to bless our community, love our community. Your community, like I said earlier, is kind of anyone you're in contact with. Guess where my community was last weekend? In a prison, maximum security prison. A lot of people there did a lot of bad stuff. And yet, you know what I find out every time we go in there? If you will really be friendly with those people, if you'll really love them, if you'll really listen to them, no matter how hard they might have been to start with, all of a sudden walls start to come down. And then a couple of days, they're crying, sitting at a table crying. These big rough guys that are in there for a lot of mean stuff. Because some of them have never ever had anyone to authentically love them. Or communicate value to them or, or, or listen to them. The, the theme or the motto more or less of, of Cairo's prison ministry is, is this. Listen, listen, love, love. 
And that's what we're going to do. To listen and listen and love and love them. And, and by doing so, it really removes barriers. And I suggest to you that would be a pretty good pattern, pretty good motto for any church or any individual as a Christian if we'd understand we need to listen, listen, love, love people. It would help break down barriers. We don't need just to listen with our eyes, but we need to intentionally listen. Plan on listening. In the book, they tell a story about where a national disaster had taken place, a natural disaster, and, and some people flew there not to build buildings, not to do mud outs or anything like that. They flew there because they wanted to go into where the people were staying and listen to them and talk with them. And they were amazed how, how hungry those people were that had been impacted by that tragedy, how hungry they were just to hear, just to have a chance to talk to someone. And we can help affect change in our community and help communicate the love to others if we will listen better. But also we need to love others better. We need to love others better. We need to love the people in our in our city, in our community, and also we need to share the party. I want to kind of break those down into, into two thoughts. We need to love others better. We need to love our, our community and our city to start with. We, we need to convey authentic love as, as we live our lives. We, we need to be loving each other. Jesus said, this is my commandment. It's not a suggestion that he made. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. That's a sacrificial love. That's an honest, authentic, caring love. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And in the context of what Christ did, that man going to the cross and literally dying. But there are all kinds of ways we can set our lives aside or lay our lives down in order to take time to love someone. In order to take time to communicate the love of God in some small act that we might do to impact their lives. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you so that you'll love one another. It's just an over... Jesus just kind of overstating the point how we need to love each other and how we need to love others. You notice that Jesus said, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name might be given to you. He just said, love each other. He talked about us being authentic, loving others. He talked about us bearing fruit for Him. And then He said, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Just maybe our prayers sometimes don't get answered because guess what? We've not loved like we ought to love. We've not bore fruit for Him like we ought to bear fruit for Him. And, and, and that's causing maybe our prayers to go unanswered because we're failing to live a life of love and, and respond to people the way Jesus has, has called us to. So in a practical way, how can we love our community? I mean, what are some things we can do? There are all kinds of ideas. I mean, it's almost hard to kind of come up with a, with a wrong expression of love if that's what the intent is. There are many things that you can do, many things that our, that our, that our outflow teams will be communicating to you and asking you to do, you know, coming up. We've got before us, as I made an announcement earlier this Thursday, the chance to go over to Salvation Army. All we're asking you to do is go over there, carry a tray for someone there at the Salvation Army. Do you realize part of those people live in tents out in the woods, close by the Salvation Army? And you can go over there and they will be wondering, why did you come here tonight? Why are you wanting to carry my food? Are you going to steal my food? Now, the honest, you, you go over and you carry that and you communicate value and love and, and you give them a smile and pat on the back and maybe get a chance to talk to them a little bit. They're going to start asking, why are you doing this? Your response is because God loves you. 
You can go through a drive through as I told a story when we first started this series. Because when you're going through a drive through and you're paying for your food, guess what? The lady that you're paying for your food already knows the person behind you, what they've ordered and how much it is. You can pay for their food. They pull up to the window and she can communicate to them or give them a little card. We're going to design some cards, print some cards for you to have and everything. But you give them a little card to give her and she can tell them when they pull up to the window, uh, your food's paid for. Here's why. Because God loves you. They have to look hard saying, because God loves you. You can go out and hand out a bottle of water, coffee, hot chocolate, I mean, whatever is fitting at the time. You can go to a service station and ask permission, can I stand there and clean people's windows for you since you guys don't do it anymore? And I'll clean their windows when they get, you know, get their gas and, and do it just to communicate the love of God or maybe give them $5 to buy their gas down or go to the supermarket like I've told you I've done kind of recently and you can notice people that are really struggling based upon kind of how they look and what they're shopping and the areas they're going to. If, if they're standing there at the Remy Noodles and that's all they're looking at, there's probably a reason for that. If they're at the produce only looking at the markdown produce, there's probably a reason for that. There's all kinds of ways you can, I mean, even if you just give that person $5, that $5 might seem like the world to them. Go to some businesses and we'll communicate the the love of God. If someone say, can, you know, can, I want to if I can come in. Is it okay if I come in and clean all of your toilets for you? I guarantee you they're going to ask you, why would you want to do that? Because that's a little bit weird, isn't it? Well, I just wanted to come in and do that to show we, you know, we appreciate your business and give you a little practical show, you know, touch that God, God loves you and He cares about you. If we do the right kind of stuff, people's going to ask questions. And if we love our community in the right way, sometimes loving your community means you put a deeper investment in your community than you are maybe about yourself. And, and what I mean by that is this. If maybe go to the same restaurant and eat at the same restaurant a lot more than you'd really like to go. Because here's why. As you do that, you're developing relationships with those people. I couldn't really say that at the first service because I've tried to do that consistently at a local restaurant here in Granite Falls, and several of those people are here now. And I, and I didn't know they'd be here this morning when I was telling that, but I, I've consistently gone to eat there. Their food is good, but I've consistently gone also because I, I want to develop a relationship with them. If you're in the checkout line and, and there's a lady up there that you've been building a relationship with and that line's longer than the rest of them, wait a few more seconds. Keep building that relationship. Keep, keep doing something you can to, to let people know that, that God cares for them. You see, by doing those kinds of things, what we're doing is this. We're really following the pattern of Jesus. We're, we're putting the, the relational horse in front of the gospel cart. Many times we've messed it up. We try and put the cart in front of the horse, and that doesn't tend to work. We try and put the gospel in front of a relationship, when instead if we'll build a relationship, that will lead to us getting the gospel cart to them. If we'll follow the right pattern and try and build a relationship with someone. George MacDonald said this. He said, the love of our neighbors is the only door out of the dungeon of self. In other words, if we get so self-consumed in our lives and make it so much about us, it can become a prison. And the way out of it is to honestly love other people and try and minister and reach out to other people. A way we can do that, a way we can love others better is, is loving our community, but we need to be sharing the party. And by me sharing the party, I'm talking about our worship services. Man, our worship services ought to be celebrations. I loved our worship set today because, it, man, in the first service, I, I kept creeping out this way a little bit uh, in the second service because I thought I don't want to miss anything because in the first service, I was a little bit further back there, and all of a sudden I start hearing people, you know, celebrate and rejoice and things like that during one of the songs, and I'm thinking, what am I missing, you know? And, and this time I kept edging forward because I want to see you guys raise your hand. and, and It ought to be a celebration. I mean, we get pumped up about sports and everything else. People will do crazy things. Fat men will go to stadiums, pull their shirt off, and paint letters all over their chest. We, we, ought to be, we ought to be excited about Jesus. 
It should be a celebration when we come here. But the celebration is not for us. The celebration is a party that we ought to invite other people to. And here's who Jesus said we ought to invite. When you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Instead, when you give a feast, he said... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you and you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I mean, kind of weigh that out. Do you want all your reward now by you just loving people that can love you back or would you rather have some eternal reward because you've loved people that can't do anything back for you? We, we need to be willing to, to love people like that and invite them to the party. See, Jesus was famous for breaking all the rules. Before Jesus said these words, earlier in that chapter, he healed a man. God forbid, on the Sabbath. And some of the old religious crowd, they were kind of sitting over there and they watched that Jesus said, heal this man. And that religious crowd's kind of looking like, well, he, sh- he shouldn't have done that. It's the Sabbath. Jesus looked at him and said, hey, if your son fell in the ditch or if your ox fell in the ditch, if someone you loved or something you had value in fell in the ditch on the Sabbath, you'd go get them out. Jesus, I think, intentionally almost stepped out to break a lot of their man-made religious rules. And here's why. Jesus was trying to convey, I think, to the people of that day and our day still yet, that people are more important than rules. That that impact in someone's life is more important than just some man-made rule. Jesus is more interested in touching lives than he was interested in keeping a bunch of religious snobs happy. And you see, I, I've been there. I've been guilty of that. And probably all of you have too. I don't know if you'll admit it or not. But I, man, I can remember because right after I was called to preach and kind of the, you know, the, 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 like the Bible college I went through to start with and, and some of the preachers I was rubbing shoulders with and everything like that. I, I can tell you everything they were against. I, I don't know if I know what they were for or not. They were against a whole lot of stuff. You know, this is wrong, that was wrong, this is wrong. So it was kind of like, you know, well, I, I better be like that, you know, too. And, you know, so well, this is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong. And, uh, and, and you get a bunch of rules going. And, and you want to obey those rules because you don't want to mess up your reputation with this clique, this group that you're with over here. See, Jesus didn't care, care about the clique. Jesus cared about people. And God dealt with me later on to the point that I have ruined my reputation. Probably a lot of those pastors I walked with in and everything now would say, man, he's lost his mind. He's going to hell. He's got that too. They got electric guitars and drums. He wears blue jeans, sandals sometimes. I got accused one time of preaching barefoot. I might do it sometime. I don't know. But the point is, Jesus cared more about people than he did rules, and that's where we need to be. That's where we need to line up with. We need to care more about people than we care about stinking rules. And Jesus intentionally went out of his way to break rules. I mean, he, 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 he hugged people. He hugged lepers. He cared for lepers. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He, he talked to prostitutes. And all the time, the religious crowd was like giving him the vampire sign. And yet Jesus was doing exactly what he should have done and and doing what we ought to be doing. We ought to care more about people than we care about our reputation or what religious people might think about us. That's one of the reasons day three church exists because I came to the point that I felt like I had to do something different to maybe reach some people in this community that other churches possibly wouldn't reach. And that's why we do some things different. It's not trying to be rebellious. It's trying to hope that we touch some people that that other people might not touch. We need to do what Jesus said. We need to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And and then he says, we can be blessed. In reading 19 in Alpha, there's a story about a lady by the name of Angie and her children. Angie was uh, with a church in a larger city and... uh, the author of uh, Outflow is actually coming in to teach the Servanthood Evangelism Conference. And uh, Angie had been asked to get together a whole lot of homemade soup, a ton of sandwiches, cookies, everything like that. 
But on the day of the training event, a heavy snowstorm came in, so almost no one showed up. And she's thinking, what, what are we going to do with all this? And she finally decided that on her way home, her and her children would ride through some parts of downtown that maybe might not would have been good for her to ride through by herself, but they did. And finally, after riding around some of the streets, I saw this man over there in the cold warming himself by a fire. So they pulled up and asked him if he'd like some homemade soup. And, and he said, you know, sure. And, they, and they're just putting soup out and sandwiches and cookies and talking to him. And then all of a sudden, out of the shadows, out of the woodwork, here come other homeless people walking out. And they fed them, and they fed them, and they fed them, and they fed them until all of it was gone. A few months after that, her and her husband got a burden to do a banquet for the homeless in that city. And they made the arrangements, and you got some other churches involved, and talked with a public transit authority in that town, and, and to where they would provide a free transportation. And the day came for the banquet, and they fed 460 homeless people. On fine white linen tablecloths. And fresh cut flowers as a centerpiece at every table. And she gave each one of them a, a little white rock that said on it, she'd had painted on it, God loves you. And during the banquet, one of the homeless men stood up and he said, I'm homeless now. But he said, I, I don't want to be homeless all my life. I want to have a mantle in my house where I can put this rock. He said, to be honest with you, I had planned to commit suicide this week, but I don't want to die now. Because you've helped me to see that somebody cares. A couple of months after that, Angie's eight-year-old daughter had her eighth birthday coming up. And they were talking to her, saying, what do you want to do for your birthday? And this eight-year-old girl said, can I invite my friends? Can we take cupcakes and ice cream? And go and have my birthday party with our homeless friends downtown. Well, I read that this week and I had chill bumps and tears and then an eight year old grabbed hold of that. And they went down in the city on her birthday and gave away cupcakes and ice cream to all the homeless people and stood and listened to them and talked to them. And as they were talking to one of the men, he had a bandage on his arm and he started explaining the bandage. He said, I, I had a rat chew on my arm after I fell asleep drunk. But you see, that's exactly who Jesus says we ought to invite to the party. That's who exactly we ought to be inviting to our churches. Oh, they shouldn't come to church if they've got the smell of liquor on their breath. I beg your pardon. They ought to come here, and I hope you bring them here. And, and, and I will not chase them off if they smell like marijuana or if they smell like alcohol or what, because right here is where they need to be. We, we, we need to invite not people that can just bless us or we might think can make us a stronger church. We need to invite anyone and everyone to the party. And try and help them see that, that God loves them. One last thing that we need to do to help us better love our community is that we need to live God's vision in our lives. It's not, a it's not enough just to gain God's vision, to understand what God wants. We need to be living His vision out in our lives. And by doing so, serve our city and, and our community through vision. The, the King James Version puts Proverbs twenty nine eighteen like this, where there's no vision, the people perish. The Amplified Bible Add something in, I think it's really important to help us understand the intent and the flavor of everything that's taking place. It says, where there's no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. New Living Translation puts it like this, when people do not accept divine guidance, they, they run wild. You know, a lot of our churches are just, we're just running wild. Instead of having God's vision in God's heart. 
If we want to really, really impact our communities, we, we need to ask God to open our eyes and open our hearts to His vision. We, we need to ask God to open our hearts to His compassion. Ask God to give us His compassion. And here's where the vision from our church ought to come from. The vision for our church and the ministries that we do in this place ought to be based upon the compassion of God. If we can gain God's compassion, His love for others, then our vision for what we do for Him ought to flow out of the compassion that God has for a lost world. That He has for a hurting world. That He has for people that are poor and hungry and minimized in our culture. That's where our vision ought to grow from. The very compassion of God. Jesus gives us an example of that in Matthew 23. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Notice Jesus didn't gloss over the faults of the city. He addressed them and He said that they were there. And then He says, How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. Jesus had this huge desire, even though the city was wicked. He said, I want to I gather you in. And that's the passion and the compassion and the desire that we ought to have to look at our culture, even though it's wicked, and have the desire to gather them in and invite them to the party and communicate the love of Christ to them. We need God's vision for our communities. Because you see, where you live might be different than where I live. And what you need to do to reach the people in your community might be different than what I have to do. You can go from street to street sometimes in towns or just a few blocks away. And God needs to do something different there to reach those people and something totally different over here. How do we figure that out? We go and spend time with those people. We go and walk and we pray over those areas. And we ask God, show us how to impact those people. And as we ask God to give us His vision, we, we're going we're gonna to find something out. And I think it's a positive thing to find out. If God really gives us His vision, can I tell you something? It's going to be so big, you can't do it and I can't do it by ourselves. If it's a real vision from God, it's not something that Lynn Parsons can go and do, or that you can do, or even day three can do. A real vision from God will drive us to our knees, to where we depend upon God to do what seems to be the impossible for Him. To where we're willing to take some risk, not just do what we think we can do. I think here's our problem and the problem of a lot of churches. We've allowed our vision to be minimized down to where we're just worried about maintaining our attendance and our budget. When God's vision is not about us maintaining. God's vision is about us looking at our whole community, our whole city, our whole area as our ministry. And that's something we can't do. And that's why it's a God-sized vision. We need to ask God to biggest-size our vision. We want everything else under the sun biggest-size. We need to ask God to biggest-size our vision and understand when He does. It'll be impossible unless He shows up. But if He shows up, it can happen. Because it's not based upon you. It's not based upon me. It's based upon Him. If we'll find out His vision and His compassion and allow that to cause us to take risk. And as we do so, please, please, please understand this. It is not about our church. It's about the kingdom of God. Do you understand the difference? It's about the kingdom of God. One last story about Kairos, and then I'll close. Whenever we go in as a ministry group in Kairos Prison Ministry, there'll be some Baptists there, there's some Methodists there, there's some Lutherans there, some Church of God there, people of, uh, you know, Presbyterian, people of different backgrounds and different denominations. But you see, that doesn't matter. We go in, we all have assigned tasks, we go in and we serve together. And man, God really shows up. I can't tell you how, you know, you'd have to be there and experience it, but God shows up in a huge way. And, and we're there just serving God, trying to, trying to serve those people and love them and get them to Jesus. And it doesn't matter that we're different denominations. And God accomplishes huge things every time we go in. Can you imagine what would happen? What would happen in our communities, in our cities, in our state, in, in our nation, if all churches would join together like that for the kingdom of God?
how can we reach our communities? How can we better love our communities? We need to change the perspective that people have. Understand it's pretty negative right now probably. We need to change it to a positive perspective by loving people. We need to listen better. We need to love people better. We need to seek God's vision and live it out in our lives. Let's pray. Father, God forgive us when we've gone to such extremes to make church about us. When you've got a whole world that you want us to impact, and that starts out by by us allowing you to fill our lives, and we overflow into our family and friends, and then we overflow into our community, and from there to the world. God, forgive us of things that we've allowed to happen under the auspices of Christianity that, that have given people a negative perception of you and the church. God, help us right now to be serious before you. Father, I pray every, every believer in this room right now will pray and make commitments that they're going to change the way they look at life and the way they look at their community and, and right now, Father, they'll make commitments. They'll dedicate themselves to touching at least one or two people a day as they go, as they're living their life. Not about a program, but about having a lifestyle of serving you and, and loving others as we go. God, make us better listeners because we've got a hurting world that needs someone to talk to. Make us better lovers that we'll love our culture for You. That we'll be willing to step out and do small acts of love, of life touches all around us, to communicate to the people around us, the community around us, that, that You care, that You love them. God, help us to go out this week and invite people to the party. God, I pray next week we'll be so full we can't even see people because we bought into your vision to invite people to the party. Give us your compassion. Drive us to our knees to where we understand we're bankrupt if you don't show up. And give us the faith to step forward and do what you call us to do. Father, if there's anyone in our worship center this morning that does not know Christ, help them to see the great act of love you did for them. You sent your Son to be nailed to a cross, to shed His blood, to suffer and die in their place, to proclaim with a loud voice, it is finished, stating that you've done everything necessary for salvation and what they need to do is repent of their sin and believe in you. Speak to us now, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.